glass of beer and talk about uh, all the things we can. So spare a minute of your time. Oh, it's time for. Adventures in Home Brewing, the seed of breweries. Today, we explore dry county home brews, communities born from hops, and delve into a brief legal history of home brewing. From Jimmy Carter to the explosive brewery in my closet. Our expert today is Jerry, the owner of Brew House in Dubuque, Iowa. This popular brewing supply store is directly responsible for the creation of breweries throughout eastern Iowa and beyond, further supporting my belief that every great brewery starts at home. Chill out, maybe get a brew going. If you're driving, continue to drive, please, and relax as we explore all things home brewing. Now it's time for some fun, time for some dares. For much of human history, homebrewing has been the primary method of, well, getting, drinking, and enjoying beer. Its importance in the history of drinking and, kind of more broadly, humanity cannot be overstated. And so, this is the first of many deep dives into the complex history and legacy of homebrewing. This series will explore everything from the brews of ancient Mesopotamia to the evolving science and the legacy, history, and importance of women in homebrewing. We've got so much more planned, but today let's focus in on homebrewing legalization under the Carter administration. Between conversations with Jerry, the nicest brewer and guy you'll ever meet. What are we waiting for? Let's brew. It's got me feeling like... I know the streets of Dubuque. I caught my first fish on the Riverwalk, experienced my true first heartbreak in the strangely empty parking lot of Best Buy. I had my first beer in the cold winter winds. Throughout these events, the good, the bad, brew house reliably sat in the center of busy Bluff Street. Time passes, Dubuque changes, breweries pop up, Tap lists change, local interests in beer shifts. I now know, although I didn't really at the time, being too young to drink, officially, that many of these changes happened because of the small beer building on Bluff Street that I would drive past on my way to get coffee. These thoughts flood my mind as I look up at the blue and red beer house sign I know so well. I carry cold beer and my equipment through the well-worn door. Jerry emerges energetically out of a back room. We talk for a bit over the beers I brought and amongst the library-like beer supplies among us. I set up my gear and we begin to talk. Tell me a little bit about how you got to where you are now. How'd you get into homebrewing? Into homebrewing? Yeah, let's go back. Okay. Now, I had a previous life, and that was an engineering. So I got an engineering degree, practiced there for 20 years. But my first job out of college, I'm kind of an oldie. I graduated college in 86, started down in Alabama, a little town there called Dothan. Dothan. Okay, yep. where's that at? Very south. 
Very south. All right. right down by the Panhandle. Okay. 90 miles from Panama City Beach was really the selling point for me. Okay. All right. <laughs> and uh, the only way I could afford a house in my early mid-20s was to get outside of the town and get out into a – it was actually an adjacent county, a little deep into it. Okay. And found me a little – actually a little acreage, pretty cheap land down there in, in Alabama. Okay. And you go to move in. I'm an Iowa boy, and it feels like it's 120 degrees down there. I'm not kidding. It gets hot. It feels different. And so after I'm closed on the house, moving in, got my U-Haul, I decided I better go get some beer. This is what I do. Yeah. So I go to the grocery store, and that is when I found I had moved and purchased a house in a dry county. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know these things existed. <laughs> That's a tragedy. <laughs> While no state is completely dry today, dry counties did, and to the surprise of many, myself included, do exist. In this spirit of curiosity, let's delve into a brief history of the legalization of homebrewing in America. Because to my and many people's horror, the homebrewing of beer with an alcohol content higher than that of 0.5% remained illegal from the advent of Prohibition to 1978. I'll be using, quoting, and referencing an article entitled Just Brew It, A Brief Legislative History of Homebrewing in the United States, posted by Anna Price on the Library of Congress blogs. All right, let's slow down. So, from 1933 onwards, after Prohibition, the consumption of alcohol was legal, but homebrewing was not. Now, interest in homebrewing grew steadily as hobbyists wanted flavors not offered by commercial brewers. It was mainly American lagers at the time because, remember, this is pre-craft beer revolution, so if you wanted a particular style, chances are you'd have to brew it by yourself, illegally, <laughs> or uh, with friends, illegally. This trend grew and grew steadily until 1976, when the formal legalization of home brewing commenced. And I quote, Homebrewers in California reached out to Senator Alan Cranston, who lobbied for its passage and incorporated key provisions into H.R. 1337, which otherwise dealt with several tax measures. On January 4th, 1977. Rep. William Steiger introduced H.R. 1337 in the House. End quote. Enter President Jimmy Carter, who signed the bill into law. It's now January 5th. You've got your cool bell-bottom jeans on and are listening to your new Rolling Stones album, knowing that homebrewing is now legal federally. So, everyone is happy, right? Well, I mean, it depends if you're in the right place. Quote, Although the 1978 Act removed some restrictions on homebrewing, the 21st Amendment still allowed states to regulate alcohol within their jurisdiction. End quote. So here's the thing. Some states were very fast to adopt lax homebrew laws, while other states were not. It wasn't until 2013... Nearly 100 years after Prohibition made homebrewing illegal, that made making beer in your own house legal in all 50 states. Now, thankfully, 
Millions are practicing homebrewers in the States, thanks in a large part to the efforts and expertise of brewers like Jerry. Speaking of, let's get back to Mr. Jerry, shall we? Right. So here I am in my 20s with a house in a dry county in Alabama. Okay. I learned how to make beer and wine. Okay. And I can tell you right now, it was god awful. So it was by necessity, dude. But it was drinkable. Okay. I made it and I was proud of it and drank it. But I, I don't think I could drink it today. If I had a bottle <laughs> left from what I made then, it was horrible. Even for nostalgia's sake, you wouldn't be able to. I mean, you couldn't get fresh ingredients back then. Mm. You know, there's a lot of homebrew shops now, but back then there was nothing. Sure. You had order over the mail. Yeah. And it came from a warehouse. It was basically like a Mr. Beer. So you're making terrible beer. Oh, you're making bad beer. I don't want to say terrible, but where do you go from there? Last bit of engineering, I found some homebrew shops. And I was, ingredients have really come around in the homebrewing world. I mean, mm. they're fresh. Okay. And they have yeah. been for years now. Yeah. And uh, after 20 years of engineering, working for corporate America, I decided, you know, it's time for a new chapter in my life. So- Got this little uh, rental property here in Dubuque. This is 2006, just over 17 years ago. Okay. And opened the brew house. Started selling the home because it was one thing I knew about and I knew I could do. I said, it's either going to work or it's not. Sure. If it doesn't work, maybe I'll be an engineer again. So I have a question, actually. So when you moved here, were there homebrewers already, or did you kind of foster that community from the start? I'll tell you, there was a small club here. Okay. Um, when I was starting up and I had my sign out in the front yard and it said, coming soon, brew shop, a couple of them poked their heads in here and says, we have a little homebrew club here that meets down. I don't know how long you've been around, Noah, but there used to be a little bar uh, down on Locust called Isabella's. Okay. Um, and that's where they that. were meeting at. Okay. So once I got the homebrew shop up and open, they were naturally my first customers. They were already had customers ready to go. Sure. And then soon after, I took over some of the administration duties of the club, and it's been rolling with me ever since. How many people meet now, nowadays? That's a good uh, question. A lot of people want on the mailing list, but they don't always participate. Sure. So mailing list is right now, it's a living being, moving target. It's usually between 150 and 200 people. Wow. Now, a meeting may consist of two dozen. That okay. are able to make that one. Well, that's a good percentage of that. A lot of people just like yeah. to keep their their eye on what's happening, what the club's doing. Sure. So we were talking before this, and I really want to get into it a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of the breweries that I interviewed already actually uh, started shopping here as home brewers. There's there's a common trajectory among uh, breweries where you have to homebrew first. You have to kind of know what you're doing. How is it? How is it seeing that progress? Seeing people come in and then having them make their own places. Oh, it's awesome because the people that come in aren't just customers, they're friends. A lot of them are in the club. Some of them never was a part of the club, but they're friends when they come in. We're on first name basis. And then uh, I've, it's like you said, I feel like I became an integral part of the startup, a lot of breweries mm -hmm. because they finally decide for some reason or another, they're done with their day job and, yeah. They want to get going on something different, something more fun, interesting to them. Yeah. And then uh, I'll help them, you know, get started with ingredients and they'll buy. Some of them still buy ingredients through me, the smaller ones. Mm. Uh, and then a lot of the bigger uh, systems will buy from me to subsidize in between their regular orders. Mm. 
It's people like Jerry that promote, foster, and educate communities about homebrewing, about mindfully drinking, mindfully making beer, mindfully tasting beer that, in my view, are the center of these rising craft beer communities. With anything, you've got to start somewhere. And with brewing, in my view, the best start is at home. As mentioned, there is a big, big difference in the alcohol laws as you drive from state to state. Let's explore this booze fluctuation in detail. I'll be using and quoting an article entitled The Day Homebrewing Was Legalized by Libby Murphy on craftbeerandbrewing.com. It's a great website. Now, let's get into it. As mentioned, some states let brewers brew with relative freedom, while others restrict the alcohol by volume as well as the amount you can make and transport, amongst other things. Libby maintains that, yeah, no one's coming around and checking your 11% quad IPA, but insist, quote, you probably don't want to go live on Facebook to show off your super boozy 19% ABV Imperial IPA if you're in a state with ABV restrictions. In Tennessee and Mississippi, it's illegal to brew anything more than 10% ABV. In West Virginia, 12%. In Washington, D.C., 14%. In North Carolina, 15%. In South Carolina, 17.5% ABV. And in Oklahoma, 3.2% ABV. With the proper state-issued permit. End quote. Now, while we're on the topic, let's do a rapid fire of different states' laws on alcohol. I, th- I found it fascinating, and I hope you do too. For this rapid fire, I will be quoting directly from the article. Let's go. Let's focus in. I'm going to go relatively fast on this one. Three, two, one. Fact one, Mississippi still has cities and counties that are considered dry, where no alcoholic beverages are allowed. Number two, brewers in Idaho are restricted to using native-grown products to brew with. They are restricted to 100 gallons for a single-person household and 200 gallons a year, uh, from my understanding, for a double-person household. Fact number three, Colorado lawmakers finally introduced House Bill 1084 that allowed those who are not head of household to brew beer. The family that brews together stays together, apparently. Number four, up until four years ago, New Jersey homebrewers had to apply and pay for a license from the state in order to brew beer at home. The homebrew community railed against that, and it was repealed. Finally, in Tennessee, you can't brew more than five gallons at a friend's house and drive it home, because any more than that is purposes of distribution. We didn't even get all the way down the rabbit hole. It is very interesting to look further into. I do have a question for you. How many taps do you think Jerry has at his home? Let's find out. Uh, you, you were saying before, you have um, 11 taps in your home. These 11 taps of brews that you make yourself? Yeah. It's uh, it's a sickness. There's no doubt about it. Because that all starts <laughs> off with one. I got customers that are in the same boat. You start off with one keg and you say, this is the best thing in the world. I got a keg yeah. at home. My beer's on tap. Have friends over. Then you go, man, that'd be cool to have two styles <laughs> and you add a tap and then you go hmm, three would be even better next yeah. thing you know it just gets out of hand so so what's the line between homebrewing and commercialization if you're if you're having 12 taps 
what's what's preventing this this crossover from giving it away in that way? When I started out, you uh, there, there's the crossover is just getting licensed and getting a brewery set up and doing it on a little bit larger scale. Hmm. A big change for some brewers, not a huge change, but some that we we discuss as some of the brewers are starting up is you got to keep in mind and they all understand you're mm. not brewing for yourself anymore. You're brewing for others. So mm. as much as you like your double IPAs and your crazy stouts, it's you got to have a few lighter ones on there to pay the light bill. Sure. So you're sure. going to brew some beers you necessarily wouldn't brew as a home brewer. Okay. But uh, that's just part of the, that's the nature of the business. What has the transition between 2006 here, you have this mm-hmm. place in 2006 and now it's 2023 mm-hmm. in terms of the home Brewing business and just home brewing. What, oh, what's a, the difference? That's an interesting roller coaster. Okay, when I opened in two thousand six, home brewing was growing and wine making both. Hmm. But home brewing in particular is the roller coaster. It had steady uh, double digit growth until twelve, and then it went into single digit growth. And home brewing as an industry in the United States and the world was going all right until about 2017. Oh. And they just kept adding homebrew shops across the United States. I mean, we were really seeing a lot of them pop up everywhere. Major, Any major city would have at least one, sometimes two hmm. or more. Hmm. And 2017, it starts to taper off. And it, does, it stays pretty much, I'll say, growth-free oh. until 20 when the pandemic hit. There's hmm. a shite... Uh, Small spike as people are starting to get shut in. We don't know what's going to go on. So people are loading up with supplies. And I probably had two months of like amazing sales. Yeah. And then it's been going down. Mm. And the number of homebrew shops since 2017 has equally been going down. Iowa, we had several of them. Yeah. We've closed up ones in Cedar Fall, Des Moines, North Liberty, uh, Marion. I think I might be the last homebrew shop in Iowa. Wow. Mm. Wow. You, and I will say, as a Dubuque native, I've been here all my life. You're kind of a staple. Just driving past, I'm like, oh, it's by the brew house, or it's this way from the brew house. Yeah. I'm on a pretty busy street. <laughs> yeah, you are. Bluff Street. And I have to say, since we're both people who live in Dubuque, have lived in Dubuque for a long mm-hmm. time, equally, what's what's the change in brew culture in Dubuque, both in, in home brewing? In your experience, and just going out and, and trying brews uh, downtown. The brew culture in Dubuque has really evolved. When I opened in 2006, there were no breweries. So your closest one at that point would have been Potosi. And they were not, I don't believe they were even up and running in 2006. It's 30 minutes away from here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Cedar Rapids had a couple. Mm-hmm. Uh, Quad Cities had a couple. But Dubuque. This was, uh, you were either home brewed or you bought it at the store. It's a desert. And now uh, the whole area, not just the city of Dubuque itself, but just the area has been really growing in uh, beer sales. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's fascinating because like I was saying earlier, you're a little bit a part of that, you know, I mean, fostering interest in, in home brewing, just seeing the store going in, that can spark some, the rest of somebody's life. I like to think so. Yeah. Because I, I knew all the brewers and as they were starting up their breweries and that's so there wasn't necessarily people just coming into town and open a brewery. These are local people starting their breweries. Yeah. 
Absolutely. I, <laughs> one of my first brews uh, with my brother actually exploded in my closet. And I had to get a bunch of different... Uh, Anybody so. that's homebrewed has had the explosion. Yeah. <laughs> Don't it's do necessary. it on the carpet. <laughs> uh, or all of your clothes, incidentally, yeah. as I found out. And at some but, point, uh, if you started off bottling your beer, you've had a bottle grenade. But you <laughs> yeah. learn quickly how to avoid that. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I have to ask you a question that I ask Everybody, and I think it's an important thing to ask. You started in 2006. Here we are, 2023. What keeps you going? Like I said, when I opened in 2006, I didn't know if this would make it or not. And I always had uh, alternatives to fall back on, but it took off and it grew. And people have been really loyal to the shop here. Even with online companies out there, big online companies, my main goal through the 17 years has been to check out their pricing on a weekly basis and compete with them. Mm. That's all you really got to do with the online companies. A lot of people, a lot of homebrew shops will complain about them, undercutting yep. them. And I says, well, you know what? I, I check out these prices these guys have and they're not tough to compete against. Yeah. So it's just, uh, don't run it like a hobby, run mm. it like a business. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. And actually that's usually where I end, but I want to, mm -hmm. I want to look around at all the recipes that you have, because that's kind of what got me to start getting into home brewing. Just that, that seed that you planted, you have all these boxes with different recipes that right. you made. Some of the homebrew shops start, there is a couple of suppliers out there that will sell their recipes to you. I started off with one delivery of those, tried them myself and thought immediately, my recipes beat these all the heck. Yeah. So I decided I'm going to package up my own recipes. And as you look across those, Noah, you'll see the names on them. And I'm really going to date myself on that one. <laughs> all right. Most of them are named after classic rock. Oh, yeah. All I've right. never gotten a cease and desist. So. All right. Classic rock. What's your, what are your go-tos? Oh, let's get into it. You'll, you'll see. I guess I can just yeah. look over there. <laughs> yeah. You come into my shop, I usually got some classic rock playing on the radio. All right. I was listening to ACDC on the way over here. Yeah. Not not quite. I think they got a kid up there. I think we got a stout up there. Okay. All right. All <laughs> Depends right. how big your podcast uh, is here. We may get a cease and desist. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. We'll be good. No, no, no. I'll, uh, I'll bleep it out. I've got a <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Um, hey, Jerry. Thank you so much for sitting down with me and, and talking. Thank you uh, for bringing by this wonderful beer. Hey, no problem. No problem. Appreciate it's it. been a pleasure. Uh, cheers. Cheers. Let's finish these up. Hell yeah. Let's wind down with a quote by Ralph Waldo Emerson. God made yeast as well as dough and loves fermentation just as dearly as he loves vegetation. You know, all things considered, I think of myself as lucky that I live in the time that I do now for brewing. With access to ingredients, information, friendly breweries, and plenty of people like Jerry pushing us all in a much more mindfully crafted, skillfully fermented, and increasingly communal direction, I, for one, will be going home, begging my barley, heating my stove, and preparing myself to enjoy, in some time, a legally made delicious pint. Thank you so much for listening to the Beer Nomad podcast.
If you find value in this podcast, it really helps to increase the quality every week to continue delivering the quality that I'd like to if you would rate and subscribe wherever you're listening now. Stay tuned in the foreseeable future for the continuation of our homebrewing series. The show notes contain any articles used by me. Thank you so much to Jerry. He ships out his recipes, so check out the show notes again for a link to his website. Otherwise, that is it for this week. Thank you again. Drink good beer and be good to each other. Cheers. Mm.